0: Welcome to Season 3 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further.
1: And welcome back to the Unforgiving Sixty podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host Ben
2: Pronk. Good morning, Tim.
1: Welcome to RV25, the first RV of season three. It
2: For well, what, go? No, I was just going to say I was late to the RV this morning. Yeah, you were terribly late. Oh no, oh, you I had missed my window. You had a you had a meeting,
1: traffic. <laughs> Dog, <laughs> traffic over the bridge. Dog <laughs> ate my homework. That's the, that's the Sydney excuse. Oh, the traffic over traffic the bridge over was horrendous. Mick mm. Nevin. Jackie Lambie, David Knopf What do Antarctica, these people have in
2: common? <laughs>
1: and Nick Hudson, our first yeah. four episodes of Season 3 that we're going to reflect upon. Let's get on with this show. Mick Season 2, Episode 1 and Season 3, Episode 1 had this person
2: in common, Mick Nevin. This year, the Melonhead last year. Zombies. Zombie apocalypse. What will next year be? Is this a tradition? Twice in a row is a tradition? Mick Nevin might not want to come back. I don't think it does much for his, his profile or reputation. But we certainly enjoy having him on. I find him, um, I've heard people talk about some comedians as actually not being funny in real life. You know, Mm -hmm. they're they're very good on stage, they can craft a joke, they can deliver a joke well, but as a human they're not funny. I find McNevin the very opposite. I find him just an uplifting, funny guy. Well, peculiarly, he does not describe himself as an extrovert. And we were talking about
1: extroversion, was it yesterday?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because I I did that Myers-Briggs and I'm ENTJ. And I don't know if I'd describe myself as an extrovert, probably describe myself as a bit more 50-50, but he said he is definitely not an extrovert.
2: Well, I think this is really interesting and and it aligns with some of the research we're doing on uh, resilience in general. But um, the the idea of extroversion, a lot of people just think it means you're the life of the party and that's certainly a component Mm -hmm. of it. But there's actually a number of subcomponents of extroversion and so um, there are things like sociability, which is the, the life of the party thing, but also assertiveness. Mm-hmm. So that is an extrovert sh- overt, um, that's, or characteristic that's you of you wanting to be right and not at peace. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's you willing to stand up for what you, you believe in and not roll over. But mm-hmm. yeah. And then the, the third component um, within most of these uh, personality tests of extroversion is energy level. So interestingly, you could be assertive and have a an high energy level, mm-hmm. um, but not. Be that sort of life of the party type, stereotypical extrovert, yeah. and still rate as an extrovert um, in most of those measures. So, I think a, a lot of this, a, a guy like Mick, is probably um, still an extrovert uh, mm-hmm. in in that sort of ranking, and and certainly. Um, People like, in fact, Monica Georgieva, who we we know and love, and and I don't think would mind sharing, um, ranks as an extrovert, but Mm. uh, on probably more on those energy level and assertiveness aspects than the sociability.
1: Yeah, and Mon said that when she does do things that are extroverted, she
2: finds it absolutely exhausting. I'm actually the same. Mm. I I find a, a lot of emotional energy goes into dealing with you. I, f- I find
1: you exhausting <laughs> <laughs> I felt anyway back to back to melonhead mcnevin now we talked about a range of different things stra- uh, stagecraft crafting a joke mm. the unwritten rules of being a comedian mm-hmm. the year 2020 an odd year for all entertainers and performers and how he got through it. And it was different to the zombie episode last year, where we just talked about how we take down a zombie apocalypse <laughs> using SAS tactics, some park runners, a Bunnings, network of Bunnings stores, forward the molasses pit. Oh, my goodness. We'll never. That was made. a.
2: a that was an idea, a very low point in that buddy's <laughs> cerebral journey of, of forgiving six,
1: Of taking down zombies. <laughs> that, that high highbrow episode of how do we defeat zombies. Yeah. But this year, yeah, uh, different. We really got into some of Mick's upbringing. And one thing that I found fascinating that we did talk about was him being bullied as a kid.
2: Were you a <laughs> <laughs> were you a popular kid at school? Clearly, you're not a popular <laughs> adult. But um, like, where, where did you sit in the the sort of bully spectrum at school? I think. Well, I went to an all boys' school,
1: so everyone in at some point got bullied. Mm. It was just what happened. I, know, I don't know. I wouldn't describe myself as the the most popular in the most popular mm. tranche. I was just a you know,
2: normal average. So you, you're, you're neither sort of predator nor prey in that, that sort of um, no. Lord of the Flies type situation? No, and it
1: was very Lord of the Flies yeah. in in Catholic Boys School Canberra, um, and there was certainly a lot of violence. Gee, it's got better, hasn't it? Yeah, it's great.
2: Yeah. Much better. I remember you reflecting um, jovially, asking uh, Ryan, you're, "You're now 19 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so are there any punch ups at school? And didn't he look at you blankly, like what, what, you mean? what
1: are you even talking about?' That's what he said. What are you talking about, Dad? There'd be fights at school. Mm. What, what are you even talking about? Which is fantastic. Cause yeah. Look, and
2: clearly experiences vary, and all, all sorts yeah. of different stuff. But I think, yeah, generationally, we've gotten, I hope, a, a bit better than than what it was like." Yeah. Because um, I <laughs> I was a fat kid, as, as you know, um, and yeah, copped a, a bit of stick as a result of that. And yeah, I, I don't think it's in, entirely healthy, any of that sort of environment. No. Mm. And Mick talks about using a little bit of humour
1: to come through that. You know, he was the kid in the classroom that when teacher asked anyone got a joke, his hand went straight mm. up. So he always enjoyed that aspect
2: of being laughed with. See, that's got to be an extrovert's characteristic, doesn't it? Yeah, you would have thought so. But clearly, as so. we said, not not black and white. There's, but when there's you're all getting, sorts of aspects.
1: I mean, I've seen him on stage a few times now, and, and he's tremendous. You would absolutely say that guy is so extroverted, he loves the audience. But mm. when we got him in the studio, you see the introversion. I, he is He's quite contemplative at times. He's naturally not always comfortable. Um, and you've got to extract from him, you know, this is probably a little mini stage where during the episode you'll hear
2: his energy, but I'm not sure that's fully and completely him. Mm. And I think, you know, it's really complimentary to what he does. I think um, that observational kind of humour is based on contemplating the human existence and, mm. and you know, those sort of uh, doubts and reflections and all that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. He also said he can make us funny but only given a long period of time. <laughs> Much more time and money than we've got to, to throw at it. Um, he also said he's got a big head. Yes. Now, I, I, as I said in the episode, I don't look at him and think, big cruet. Mm. Yeah. But when
1: he was growing up, he said it was like an orange on a toothpick <laughs> and 21-inch head. The same diameter.
2: Yeah, where did you go? Arnold Schwarzenegger's bicep. I find that really disturbing. You you had all these bicep facts, like (laughs) really close to hand, which I thought was just weird, (laughs) and and almost irrelevant.
1: Like, I mean, how can it be irrelevant? We're talking about the diameter of a head. I just wanted to, you know, perhaps give a
2: contrasting what something that everyone's familiar with. Like, oh yeah, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger's bicep at his peak. It's it was weird, mate. Why didn't you use a bowling ball or something like? Well, we could do use a bowling ball. I don't
1: know if there's a twenty-one inch bowling ball. I just, probably, probably I just would be close to twenty-one. It unsettling inches. how many um, <laughs> bicep, bicep <laughs> references, <laughs> facts you had. I mean, that's the deep level of research that I put into the episode. Is it research, or is was that something you just know? You, no. you actually
2: prepared bicep facts.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I knew <laughs> that the diameter of. Mick's head was 21 inches and I thought "Oh, how do I find some fun (laughs) facts? (laughs) Um, great episode but check that one out Mick Nevin and also he has been playing at fringe festivals around the country I saw
2: he's been recently in South Australia doing some gigs and awesome for that um, sector that industry Mm. that that those face to face gigs are coming back on great to see him back Mm. Jackie Lambie Yeah,
1: it was fantastic to get Jackie on the show. We had reached out a few times and- Mm. um, Diaries and- Exactly, just trying to get the diaries aligned was a bit challenging. But for someone who, uh, holding uh, politics at arm's length, but for someone who has dedicated her life to service, who wasn't a person who liked authority but joined the army for 10 years and then came out of that with her own struggles. She talks, mm. frankly, about mm. mental health and, and physical health into politics uh, and the struggle to get there and and now demonstrating passion about a range of different you know, her insights or mm. you know, interests, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been reflecting on the episode and how emotional she gets when she's talking about things like veteran suicide and uh, the Brereton Report. And it's emotional to the point of being angry. You hear that through the episode. And I wonder if there's any other politicians in major political parties that get that passionate.
2: I certainly, um, you know, and obviously there's an element of polarisation with um, Jackie's politics and all that sort of stuff. But regardless of where you stand on her policies, I found it amazingly refreshing to hear such candour and such untempered passion. Um, I, I definitely got the, the impression, well, as, as I think most of Australia has, that uh, Jackie's not putting this through a filter as to, to what she no. thinks uh, will resonate with an electorate or, or whatever. She is telling from the heart what she believes, which um, is a pretty commendable quality. It's what you see is what you get, absolutely. There's, um, she's not airbrushing
1: any of that. Um, you know, metaphorically or, or, or literally speaking. Mm. And uh, I just saw her post about the Royal Commission on Veteran Suicide yeah. getting through the Senate. Um, and will pass up to House of Representatives. <laughs>
2: oh, <geez. laughs> I'm betraying do, do my... Do doesn't
1: it? it go the other way? I don't know. I know that the Upper house is actually the junior house and the lower house is, oh, I don't know, it's very confusing. I, um, if only I you should had a politician on recently. Well, yeah, yeah, explained. or if
2: only I would s- hadn't stayed up till 11 o'clock on Sunday night helping, yeah, in inverted commas, my daughter's um, uh, school school project on that very subject. Mm. Well, what you did know. you learn? Are you
1: smarter than a seventh grader?
2: I'm not, no, and I've, I've never professed to be. I've, I've learnt my arts and crafts skills are lacking. Mm-hmm. But no, interesting. Um, But yeah, no, I thought Jackie's um, uh, insights were fantastic. I found it really interesting, her sort of journey through um, uh, Clive Palmer's party and the discussions about some of the compromises that you need to make and, and, you know, of course, money is a driver behind all of this if you, you're trying to sort of push a political position. And um, it was very interesting to hear a bit about the mechanics of her start into politics and uh, how she has continued to be driven by her causes, her agendas, um, mm. the the things she so passionately wants to see done, um, but the the mechanisms through which she she's sought to pursue them. I thought it was fascinating.
1: Yep. Uh, fiercely proud Taswegian, um, Taswegian, and I think we take her up on her offer to circle back at some point um, and insert perhaps an observation on how the Royal Commission might go mm. or has gone.
2: Um, yeah, be awesome to do that. No, good stuff, and we will. So from Tasmania with Jackie Lambie, we then headed even further south. Keep going south. Pretty yeah. much as far as you can go. Well, actually, absolutely as far as you can go. In absolute terms. Yeah, yeah. If you go past that, you're going north again. Davis Station
1: in Antarctica with David Knopf.
2: What a... Um, and, and obviously champion. Like, great human. I really enjoyed that conversation. I, I didn't know him before that, but but really um, had a, a, a good good chat. But um, you you read his bio, he's he's like some kind of James Bond character, isn't Mm -hmm. he? You know, all the the sort of stuff he's done in his background from uh, sort of military into diplomacy and and not sort of cocktail party on the Champs-Élysées sort of diplomacy, real, you know, hard graft, tough um, locations. And then um, just for a bit of a break, why don't we go to the South Pole for year and a half
1: yeah exactly well 400 plus days down there um, wasn't expected to spend that amount of time but needs must mm. and I think when you're down there and isolated <laughs> no one's able to keep a you know a schedule for you what an incredible environment though yeah he talked about you know days of darkness where you might get a little bit of twilight during the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Being immersed with you know twenty odd other um, people at station
2: who are your friends, your colleagues, your co-workers, but also your subordinates. Correct. I found the leadership aspect of that just fascinating. The the idea that you're you're in charge, you're, you're essentially, or literally alone and unafraid down mm-hmm. there. There's there's not a lot of backup if if things go south. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See what I did no, there? Yeah, nice. um, but. You, it's not a nine to five. You know, you you can't just knock off and and go home to a loved one and vent or or whatever because you are always, in essence, on camera as a as a leader. Mm. And um, yeah, my my hat firmly goes off to David for for that kind of leadership responsibility. And whilst in a hierarchical
1: sense, uh, the rest of his team aren't peers. In maybe a philosophical sense, they could be considered peers. And leading your peers, I think, is one of the most challenging. Um, Aspects of leadership. Mm. And probably the foundation of that is to build this baseline of respect from which you can lead from. He talked about um, slushy, the cleaning tasks that everyone gets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Um, And, you know, this sort of harks back to the conversation that we've had before on the 15 rules of the All Blacks, where rule number one is everyone cleans the sheds. Sweeps the sheds. Yeah, uh, when you turn up into... That football shed before you run out onto the rugby park when you leave it should look exactly the same as when you turned up and Mm. i quite like that um we have also in the last couple of weeks talked about in our military careers the importance of picking up brass down the range yeah which is similar in many ways to taking your turn at
2: cleaning the dixies at davis station the classic emu bob Mm. do you remember that line line of breast remember well Less gobbing, more bobbing. Yeah, yeah, and
1: leaders didn't duck out of that, and certainly not as a young officer. You were in there emu bobbing with the rest of them. Mm. And one of the fascinating things about that, you know, whether it's picking up brass at the end of a range practice where you've done bulk shooting and there is brass everywhere mm-hmm. um, with everyone
2: stooping down and picking it up. The one- brass obviously being expended cartridges for yep. our non gun toten listeners. Non-gun-totent. Uh, the one fantastic
1: thing is it kind of broke the leadership tension you know you could have a conversation with anyone that's next to you picking up brass about any topic Mm. so it was this real leveler just bending down to pick up expended casings
2: most of the conversation in my case was about the fact that i hadn't hit the target (laughs) (laughs) i'd put down that many thousand rounds and and managed to get maybe one on target Uh, amazing wilderness so we talk about Mm. the flora fauna um
1: subsea with David's GoPro
2: on a bamboo pole <laughs> because of COVID-19 yeah,
1: we that, couldn't that get people down
2: there and, and, and the, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it was awesome um but yeah no i loved that that idea and and i imagine the romance would probably wear off it but the idea of looking out his window and seeing mm. penguins mm. that's pretty cool and missing the whole 2020 what
1: a year to miss if you're yeah. going to miss a year it's probably not a bad one didn't miss much no and trying to tune in on what was COVID-19 as the world goes berserk and they're nicely cocooned down there in their station in Antarctica mm. and outside, um, you know, the impact to science because they couldn't fly other researchers in or interact with other nation stations down there. Yeah, amazing. Really cool. It, it's and to come back to the tail end of COVID-19.
2: Has come back now?
1: Was on his way a week or so ago, so he must be close. Mm. Yeah, he must be close. I remember steaming time from Heard Island, and naturally there nearly the distance again was seven days mm-hmm. from Heard to Albany.
2: Yep. I'm not sure where they're steaming to. Does he have to go into ISO? What is Australia's mm. policy on, on immigration from Antarctica? What state is Antarctica?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't Interesting.
2: Know. You'd reckon you'd have a pretty strong argument for the fact that you have we can guarantee isolation. that. They're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cold storage, but no, great chat with David. Yeah. Nick
1: Hudson. Chief of Push-Up's best business card title ever. Yeah, I like that. The Push-Up Challenge. Uh, Check it out on social media at Push for Better or check our Instagram account or Facebook at Unforgiving60 and
2: you'll find a link to the Push-Up Challenge. What a story. Excellent and, like, multifaceted story. So uh, Nick spoke about his own personal brush with mental health through his family, his father, um, and then it, it, I, I found it amazing how sort of, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, I've had pretty open heart surgery before I was four. And mm. then, you know, that then came back to, to be a big component in his life. But in the meantime, the, the evolution of this push-up challenge that started off as a bit of a, a way for, for him and his mates to sort of cut up for summer during the, the winter months and has now become... A truly global and amazingly effective um, fundraising uh, vehicle yep mum told Nick that his dad had
1: depression at dinner and uh, had been struggling with depression Nick himself had depression but didn't see what he describes as the frog in boiling water syndrome you know slowly turning the temperature up on the water to the point where he had no interest in anything, that all joy was removed from his life. And we do put a little trigger warning on that because uh, mental health is a strong theme in not just his background and story but naturally
2: the push-up challenge as well. Correct, and and also it's a feature in statistically half of mm. Australians' lives. And the thing that I really found um I guess sobering, and it and it reinforces how insidious some of these um, conditions are. Is the fact that that Nick had had that experience with his his father, so he knew it was a thing. Um, he then developed the push up challenge and and devoted um, the the fundraising efforts towards um, the same cause. Even with that knowledge, he found it hard to diagnose in himself. It it really highlights just how uh, difficult these these um, conditions can be to, to sort of acknowledge, diagnose and treat, and um, how they can go uh, under the radar for so long. So the push-up challenge is coming up and you should check that
1: out. It's a, an agreed number of push-ups in a month, and mm. you can do it individually, you can do it as a team. You don't actually have to do push-ups, if you want to do burpees you can. I think uh, Nick was telling us a story about a nine-year-old and a ninety-plus-year-old who participated last year, and they distributed five point one million dollars to the beneficiaries in the twenty nineteen push up challenge. Oh, uh, sorry, twenty twenty push up challenge, and they're hoping to go better than that in twenty twenty
2: one. And of course, you can do it, and I like this idea of doing it as an as an office team, or, or you know, you can do it as a, a team. Are we doing that? Are you committing us to doing that? Yeah. Does that mean we can split the load? That That's kind of my main angle. Uh, no, I
1: don't think so. Oh, I, I, everyone's I'm, got to do the same. Yeah, I'm, no, not, right. I'm not sure you can share 3,318 push-ups amongst your
0: 5,000-person <laughs> <mates>. workforce. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of defeating <laughs> but the no, purpose. I no,
1: think, I think we should. 3,318 push-ups in 2021 – that equates to the number of suicides in the last in
2: twenty nineteen, the last recorded yeah.
1: statistics. Yep. Um, every day, it's not in the same amount of push-ups per day, but there is a learning on mental health. Mm. So there's shorter number of push-ups and more, but the number equates to yes. Yeah, it, it means something, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: Relates to a statistic that that's um, got a mental health yep. correlation.
1: Um, so. Check it out. And for those who are, you know, current serving, former serving, members of uh, police, that's a cross between the military military and and the police. police. Uh, Military, police, fireys, AMBOs, get involved. Nick is looking for support across those areas and trying to encourage people in uniform, regardless of the type of uniform, to also be involved. And start the communication also on the topic of mental health as you're pushing the ground for 3,318 times.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think we're heading in that right direction and causes like this are fantastic. Certainly towards the end of the my time in uniform in the military, um, I think we were getting a bit better at looking at mental health, health injuries, uh, maybe in a, a similar way to physical injuries. This is something that happens. This is something we can treat. Uh, in the period while we're treating it, we may have limitations on employment. And even in the future, we may uh, just need to watch it in the same way we would if we'd broken a femur or, or rolled an ankle or, or something like that. Um, yeah, fantastic. Uh, looking forward to following up with uh, Nick
1: and the push-up challenge as we get to doing a few push-ups. Done. So, our friend Mark Wales, who's been on the show, Ben, has his book out for pre-sales: Survivor. The story of Mark, um, his upbringing, his time in the SAS regiment, time out of that, into business school, his business, Kill Capture, Mm -hmm. a tough luxury and onto the set of Survivor and beyond. I've just finished it. It is actually an incredible read, and you read a very early manuscript. Yep. And I stole a look at that out of curiosity on one thing that Mark had spoken about um, and was captivated by it. And the, um, the copy that I have at the moment, the, the pre-release copy... Unbelievable! It, it is a really honest, genuine story that Mark's written. Not one that's all upside, and not one that's glowing. It's a story that's a emotional roller coaster, ups and downs, and he talks frankly about his demons and battles. Mm. Uh, I really liked it. It was a special read.
2: Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I I don't normally like contemporary military biographies. Um, I don't know why. Um, but I certainly don't like the ones that are all about, you know, there I was, knee-deep in grenade pins, saving the day and, and doing all this brave stuff. Um, and Marx is incredibly uh, self-reflective. He's got an, an amazing self-deprecating style at the best of times. And that, that comes through um, both in a humorous sense in, and in a, a very self-reflective sense. But, yeah, it, it I mean, I'm trying to avoid cliches. It's definitely a warts and all um, look at his experiences. Um, And I really like the fact that he it certainly resonates with my own experiences, that there are these amazing, incredible times and and so many positive benefits of that sort of military environment and and even operational deployments. There's some incredibly personally and professionally satisfying aspects to it, but it's not without its messiness. And and I think Mark captures that really well in the book.
1: Mm. Also describes himself as an introvert. Uh, He started some professional speaking and he talks about stumbling, mumbling, fumbling because he just wasn't comfortable being up there and telling his story. Um, And I kind of like that. I like the fact that he wasn't comfortable, but he went out there and he built his own comfort by speaking honestly and frankly about his experiences and how this could translate into other people learning a little
2: bit more, and perhaps inspiring those who have experienced similar similar things. It's funny because when you look at Mark, um, he looks like that SAS guy from Central Casting. He yeah. is, you know, massive, lantern jawed, good looking, big, sort of powerful, imposing dude. Um, but he, to me, has been someone who I, I've found really inspirational for the fact that he always swings for the bleachers. He sets a goal, and no matter sort of how difficult it is. Um, he'll work towards it. And his journey into Wharton was a really good example. Um, I didn't know him as he was doing the journey into to the SAS, but he talks about that in the book. And then things like the public speaking, um, it would be easy in any of those endeavours to say, that's pretty tough. I'm not sort of, you know, naturally sort of um, predisposed towards that, but he's never done that. He's always stepped up and, uh, you know, gone a little further, which I, I found really inspiration.
1: It's a bit of a theme too. He does describe his being below average as a cadet and you know an average officer, and he really had to work hard to improve. There
2: are some cracking. I I didn't. I knew one of them, but not both of the 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 low points of his Royal Military College, his officer training. Um, I think the term we would have used is shit fight for for that kind of um, performance, but. He's anything but, uh, but it's it's great that he embraces that. and and um I find again that part of that inspiration that. You know, he, he's had a few uh, bumps and lumps along the way, but he's, he's always kept going. You could omit those parts from your memoir, couldn't you? <laughs> the oh, less mate, memorable ones. Yeah, and, and, and ones when I get around to, to writing mine, there'll be big chunks um, in my <laughs> revisionist agents. history. Yeah. Well, you get a mention in the acknowledgements. I was very chuffed. Yeah, very, very flattered. And in fact, um, if for nothing, for no other reason, and there's plenty of other reasons, but uh, the, the acknowledgement section is a great reason to, to buy that book because he, he does it very tongue-in-cheek. Um, and it's it's actually a, a very funny read and a very personal um, sort of uh, vote of thanks to, to a whole bunch of people who have helped him along the way. In fact, we should probably say that pre-orders are out on the book.
1: It's published by Pan Macmillan. He's in the charts, even though the physical copies haven't hit the bookshelf yet. So a really indication of the amount of groundswell it's building. <laughs>
2: Let's have a listen to some listener feedback. Um, We've got one from Hawks, which is fantastic. So we obviously did our episode with Hawks where we spoke everything from being incompetent young officers all the way through our various military careers and then into sort of post-military careers, Brereton Report, um, a very wide-ranging and and I found great discussion with Hawks. Mm -hmm. But he's... um, He's uh, written in and said, I've listened to RV24 on my way to work this morning and um, just saying it was great to catch up. Um, And then Hawks, and this is typical of Hawks, he said, um, to to correct the score, Ben, I was no legend in the battalion. I just enjoyed training soldiers and young officers. And how self-deprecating is that? Hawks clearly was a legend in the battalion. I, I maintain that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome that uh, he sort of reflected um, on the fact that, that that was what he was doing. His job was to, to mm-hmm. help people. And the note that, that thing, that the training soldiers and young officers. So training the people below him on the ladder that he was leading and also training his leaders, which is a mark of the man. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could take that
1: into your organisation where you might be a leader and make sure you're investing time in those subordinates and you know, even the peer-to-peer aspect of leadership. That'd Mm. be cool.
2: No, very cool. So it was great to hear from Hawks. We've also had some great and um, we're loving the the ongoing correspondence with um, Billy. Um, He puts us to shame in terms of his reading. He is a vociferous reader and always sending us through some, some book recommendations. Is that the right word, vociferous? I don't know. Talk amongst yourselves for a sec while I book it No, up. it's not. I meant voracious. Yes, sorry. <laughs> well, he's vociferous in terms of he tells us every time he's written a he's read a book. <laughs> anyway, it's always good to get his emails. Um, he's uh, spoken about the fact he's read uh, recently read Peter Cosgrove's autobiography, um, a book called Attributes. And um, uh, a lot of um, uh, David Boyd, which is great that he's um, sort of made that connection, I think, through listening to the podcast and and following along with that. You are vociferous,
1: expressing or characterized by vehement opinions, loud
2: and forceful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely blew that. I was trying to use big words and I stuffed it, which is super embarrassing. Mm. Let's move on. Ben Freeshow, our friend, has Mm. given us a little track that he's made in his
1: garage. Now, he played big stages, didn't he, as a musician in his earlier years and now is very much into his arts and design.
2: And um, very much a a renaissance human in in that aspect, Mm -hmm. Um, all sorts of creative endeavours, including photography. And um, we recently had a, a series of photo shoots with Ben um uh, as part of our sort of pre-publicity for the the upcoming book release Mm -hmm. um and geez he did well if he can make (laughs) you in particular Mm. but yeah no clearly a very talented individual got an eye for as you say art design and clearly an ear for music yep check him out at free show design factory all of the work he's done there for different
1: clients he's got some examples up on his website uh, I did ask him what's it cost for him to produce a piece of music like this for us, and he said a case of wine and a lunch. Is it worth it? Did he
2: specify what wine? <laughs> There's a big range here. <laughs> some or nine, what lunch? Some nine ninety-nine. <laughs> <laughs> Get him a, a <laughs> cask of fruity lexia and a cheeseburger. Yeah, sounds
1: good. Well, let us know. Is this worth a case of wine and a lunch? And if so, what type of wine? Here's Ben Freer show.
2: This is a very timely episode Um, when we reflect on this next piece of listener feedback. We had a wonderful email from Rochelle at Baraldo Coffee uh, reaching out saying g'day, um, talking about her work um, in coffee distribution and the fact that she is working towards pushing good coffee into uh, the Afghans um, uh, network. Now, the Afghans, I have no idea what that acronym stands for. Wasn't it something like Australian Armed Forces Canteen System? Probably. Close. Service system. Anyway, it's um, a, a series of, of cafes, canteens uh, on bases across Australia. And would you say renowned for terrible coffee? Renowned for Chico Rolls. Renowned for Chico Rolls?
1: Yeah, yeah. They always did have pretty average coffee.
2: Uh, now, my experience is dated. I will, I will I will, grant them that. And we've probably offended a whole bunch of Afghans baristas. Um, but... <laughs> Is there such a thing as an Afghans barista? <laughs> Maybe let us know. Is there? Do they have baristas? Are, are you in Afghans? a barista if you put a spoonful of blend forty three into some hot water? Is that how? No, I don't think. So. I don't think so. I think it's mandatory to have completed a barista's course. I I reckon is we're where opening a about my oh, barista's my course. Goodness. Yeah, which is essentially the the fancy equivalent of putting a blend forty three teaspoon. <laughs> um, Look, I apologise in advance because I think they probably have come leaps and bounds from, from last time I had Afghans coffee. But it is awesome to hear that um, Rochelle uh, is working with them. And uh, tell you what else is awesome. You don't know this yet, but as I uh, got home from work yesterday, there was a parcel for you and I. So I got shipped to your home and not to the office address. Well, this is a funny story because actually um, we asked to get shipped to the office address and I got returned to sender. Because our, <laughs> our post office box, <laughs> our front office, obviously, <laughs> yeah, doesn't accept mail. Well, because we're in a heritage building, our little mail slot is it's it, brass it and work, beautiful, yeah. but it doesn't work. We we are a genuine actual business, and we do have an office. But for some reason, the um uh, the coffee didn't get there. So I, I, and and Rochelle was so kind to to actually resend it, which must mm. have been an enormous pain. But it arrived, and so we have got some coffee tasting to do, mate. Beans or grains beans where is well actually I don't know where I haven't opened it oh you haven't no it's at home I, I, I'll bring it in awesome looking forward to it yeah and look Loaded thank you Rochelle thank you work. for reaching out um, thank you for what you're doing uh, on the defense side of things and thank you for the coffee
1: and actually related talking barista courses it is fantastic fun to go and learn to make a coffee you could not imagine how much fun you can have just making espresso shots <laughs> <And> grab <laughs> a friend grab a mate Book yourself in. I think it's about four hours to learn to make an espresso and then work with
2: milk. Do it. And for our audience, another thing you could not imagine is how much Tim talks about this. I've never seen him make a cup of coffee other than in an espresso machine in my life, but he, he talks talks a big game. Yeah, I went there. I
1: did a course with a good friend of mine and our boys, mm-hmm. and it was really good fun. That's it cool. It was tremendous, yeah, two little... You know, sort of the baseline course, and then a couple of modules, and
2: yeah, it was great. No, that's very cool. But it has left you with this lifelong annoying habit of if a a barista asks if you want cold water in your long black, you you seethe, don't you?
1: Absolutely, it means the temperature of the machine's too hot and it's burning, the beans burning. I've heard different tracks
2: so many times.
1: Anyway, thanks for listening to RV25. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to reach out on our social media at Unforgiving60. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. TikTok. (laughs) We actually do have a TikTok account. MySpace. (laughs) We don't have a MySpace account. (laughs) But we should do some TikTok. No.
0: How do
2: we do? I don't even know how to TikTok. I don't think that 45-year-old dudes are allowed... To TikTok, to do be you have to dance? Tocker. Is it all dancing? I don't know if it's mandatory to dance. But you can just do whatever so you want. I'm showing my you age. just be I you. No one wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Scratch the TikTok. But um, definitely Instagram. That's a That's been a great channel. Yep. Uh, or go to the website
1: www.unforgiving60.com or direct on email debrief
2: at unforgiving60.com. And one of the things that we've absolutely loved about... Um, doing this show is is that engagement. We we get some outstanding feedback um, in all sorts of different um, forms, and really enjoy it. And it's it's um, yeah, always appreciate it. So certainly, any questions, um, suggestions for guests, mm. if you know someone living that life less ordinary, um, and room for improvement as well. If you if you reckon we're we're missing the mark, we'd like to hear that as well. Plenty of that, mm. room for improvement. <laughs> Happy to have. Do not want.
1: (laughs) Fight to forget. Thanks for listening. Until next time on the Unforgiving 60.
2: See ya.
0: the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on the Unforgiving 60.
1: To my bedroom and lock the sound, out We'll start a own world now, we'll all about. Lay here beside me